This is the Empowered Spirituality Podcast, the podcast about inclusive spirituality. Empowered Spirituality is all about connecting and aligning to your own higher self. All religions, spiritual practices and beliefs, sexual orientations, gender identities and expressions are welcomed and celebrated here. I am your host, Samantha Nagel, owner of and coach at Empowered Spirituality, LLC. Every Wednesday, I will share a guided meditation practice, and every Thursday, I will share inspirational teachings or interviews with people with different spiritual practices, beliefs, and opinions. Come every week with an open mind, taking what you like and leaving the rest. Welcome to Empowered Spirituality. As I began the journey of shifting my career to a job that aligned with my values and beliefs, having an education in health coaching has been transformational. Through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, you can become a certified health coach to empower your relationship with food, health, and wellness, live your dreams, earn while you learn, and embark on a new path. Join the global community of like-minded change agents who are here to empower, inspire, and motivate you to create the life you've always dreamed of by clicking the link in the show notes. And by doing so, you'll receive $2,000 off tuition when you pay in full or $1,500 off tuition if you choose the payment plan option. Or you can mention my name, Samantha Nagel, spelled N-A-G-E-L. Discover how to take a holistic and nourishing approach to health and wellness today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Empowered Spirituality. This week I am bringing you an interview from Amber Dolson, who is an amazing psychologist and couples therapist. It was such a treat to have her on the show and she is such an insightful and professional resource. Um, And she gave so much information in such a short period of time. So that was amazing. She references a lot of things in her interview. And so I've linked to most of the resources down below. And I do recommend checking out her website. Her blog has a lot of in detail articles. So if there was something that she said that you'd like more information about, I'd recommend going to her blog and checking out articles. And then she also has a podcast as well called Relationship Psych. Um, And that podcast is super, super cool. I've listened to a couple episodes now, um, and I think you would really, really enjoy it. Um, Amber is, like I said, a psychologist and couples therapist who helps couples turn the embers of a distant and lonely relationship into a blazing, emotionally intimate connection. Through her work at Ember Relationship Psychology, she provides frameworks with actionable strategies that help couples communicate more clearly and connect more deeply. She believes that when couples use these kinds of frameworks, they will start to discover a loving relationship where they both feel seen and heard, something she talks about a lot in the episode. In the episode, we talked a lot about emotional intimacy and what that is, and she also has a free emotional intimacy cheat sheet, two words that are kind of hard to say in connection with each other, 
Um, so you can download that cheat sheet. It's 36 questions, um, in which I which I plan on doing. I'm printing them out right after this. Um, and she has a lot of other free guides that you can download on her website. So I definitely recommend checking that out. We also talked about how to love yourself as well as someone else. And we briefly talked about our own struggles with codependency and what that's been like for us, um, as well as going on that journey of um, finding out how to be your best self in partnership with others and the kind of triggers that can come up along the way. Uh, we also talked about, of course, how could we not relationships during the time of COVID where many people are experiencing extra stress in their partnerships and perhaps if they are staying at home with their partner or partners, it's been especially difficult. Um, so she gives a little bit of advice on how to navigate that tension, especially after about a year and a half of it. Um, and then just some general advice and information on how to communicate more effectively, as well as information on how not to communicate, which is really, really important. Uh, we also briefly talk about Al-Anon, which is a program that we've both been in. I am I've been in ACA a bit more than Al-Anon, but um, Al-Anon saved my life at a time where I really, really needed it. And she shares similar stories about Al-Anon. We also talk about what to do if you and your partner or partners have differences in your spiritual uh, beliefs or practices, um, which is really, really helpful because I know that a lot of people have written in asking about that um, one question in particular and then just how to get in contact with your own higher power. Um, and we even talked about more than that. Amber is amazing. She's very confident. She's very knowledgeable. And I think you'll really enjoy this episode. So enjoy. I'm joined with Amber Dalton. Amber, how are you? I am doing well. Uh, it is sunny outside. So I live in Toronto, Canada. And Finally, we are having some like greater heat. The sun is come shining in. We are in on the sixth week of a lockdown stay at home order. So just like mm -hmm. the, the sun coming through the window feels wonderful. Yes. Oh yeah. Um, good. I'm glad to hear that the weather's picking up and that you're doing well. Um, so I would love for you to introduce yourself to our audience and who you are, what you do, and just what makes you, you in general. Yeah. So um, my name is Amber. Like you said, I'm a psychologist and couples therapist. Um, in the last, I don't know, 10 or so years, I've probably seen over 10,000 clients. I facilitated wow. over 150 professional presentations um, to, pro to professional audiences on things like how to handle couples conflict or assertive communication or anxiety, practical intervention skills. So I've done a fair bit of talking. Um, I'm a co-author of a book, Counseling Insights. And my biggest thing that I just love to do is help couples reconnect to help them to, you know, take a slowly kind of dwindling, dying relationship ember, ember and help them turn that up into a blazing, emotionally intimate connection. And couples are, are my favorite thing. I love talking about relationships. I love trying to see people thrive and grow together. Um, in my life, I did never think I was going to have a relationship as beautiful as the one I have today. And I think hmm. everyone deserves to have such a special relationship. So that's, that's my biggest mission yeah. is to help other people just find a really beautiful love. Hmm. That's beautiful. Wow. And I didn't realize that you had written a book. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the book that you wrote? 
Yeah, I'm a contributing author. So it's, I don't know, there's a whole bunch of us. It's called Counseling Insights, Practical Strategies um, for Handling Grief, Anxiety, and More. And so each each author wrote a, book, wrote a chapter of this, of this book. And uh, mine's on substance use. So substance use, I got into this field. My, um, my sibling is a recovering drug, alcohol, drug addict alcoholic, but it was so bad that, you know, mm. we, every, every time my phone rang, I thought he was going to die. I thought it was going to be my mom saying, you know, your mm. sibling's dead today. So yeah. for me, my, my profession started off in substance use and uh, I spent a lot of time there. And so my, my story is really coupled with relationships that are rocky because of family addiction not feeling like I felt um, seen or heard anywhere. And then just the pain of, of that addiction. So my, my two areas of really focus and study have been addiction and relationships, mm, which is perfectly my life. <laughs> yeah. What a perfect overlap that you can have that information with dealing with substance abuse and family relationships. And I don't think I've told you this, but I got my start in drug and alcohol counseling. So that's pretty oh, cool. cool too. Yeah. 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 It's a tough field. I, I'm sure that you experienced a lot of burnout or perhaps that's why you switched to doing more of couple centered counseling or therapy. Well, you know, it's just, I think why I more focus there is because honestly, that's where my heart is because I think what happened living in a, in a family system where, you know, my sibling just three years younger than me is struggling with addiction. I never felt seen, heard, I felt like I didn't matter. My whole world revolved around making sure he wasn't dead, basically. And so um, his addiction was the most important thing in my whole life for a long time. But the impact of that on me was yeah. not feeling like I had my connection needs met. And so yeah. ultimately, the switch for me is my life stopped being about my brother at some point and started mm -hmm. being about me and what I care about and where I can give back most in the world is is through a, like I've had my personal experience struggling in relationships and then also the education. And because I love it, it's been such a part of my life. It's where mm. I just thrive because I think that connection between people is so powerful. Mm, yeah. And I know that a lot of the work that you're doing is helping both where all parts of a romantic partnership feel seen and heard and understood. So I definitely mm -hmm. see an overlap in, in your growth to feel, to, to feel, seen and heard and helping others feel that way too. So that's really beautiful. Thanks. You're welcome. Um, and I'm curious if you could share any of that process of stopping living your life for someone else, which in your case happened to be your brother um, for a while um, and starting to live that life for yourself and maybe coming out of codependency if that's how you label it. And I know that's something that a lot of listeners are going to relate to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think my brother, um, so what happened is we ended up going through a long-term addiction treatments process, um, which was largely guided by the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and then therefore, um, Al-Anon. So, mm -hmm. um, Al-Anon is there to support anybody through the 12 steps, but taking them through as someone whose life has been impacted by yeah. addiction. And so I think the first steps of learning to live my life for me was actually going through the 12 steps of, of Al-Anon and, and understanding that I couldn't cause, couldn't cure, couldn't control my brother's illness. And finally it was time to focus on myself, especially as he began to, to be in recovery and was, and was sober. Mm -hmm. And um, I wasn't worried about his life every day, but even if that were to be the case, I still would have to learn and live by some of the tenets and principles that um, I live by today when, when he is well, you know, which is, which is such a blessing that he is well. Um, but I think in that I really had to take a look and, and explore like what had happened in my own life 
and how I was living. And I didn't really like it. Like my life wasn't really, I, on the outside was achieving a lot, but on the inside, it was miserable. Mm. And so just taking a step back and, and figuring out what I wanted for myself and then just kind of deciding it was okay to do that. And I did a lot of things like I was pretty harsh, kind of mean, had a pretty mm. hard exterior wall around me because I was so hurt. And I had to decide like to let some of that stuff go. And I had to really look at what did I want in my life? Who did I want to be? Yeah. And just decide to show up in that way. It took years. It took years to become the person I am today. It wasn't an overnight quick fix. Mm. Um, but the beginning basis was just like in honestly the 12 steps, which isn't something I talk a lot about anymore, but in working mm. that program for myself and um, coming to understand just how my family was impacted through addiction. Mm, yeah. Um, and actually on the episode that was released this week, which by the time this comes out, will have been a couple of months ago. Um, but I recently talked about going through the ACA 12 steps, which is adult children of alcoholic families or parents. Um, and I, I went through Al-Anon kind of similarly at the same time. Um, so I thank you for bringing up Al-Anon. I think that's a great resource that doesn't really get shared as much as AA perhaps does. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know about it or gets a bad stigma. They think who wouldn't go, but I was, the time I was most involved in the fellowship, I would think I was 21 to 25. So it was pretty young. It was like me and a bunch of like, mostly like 60 year old women in the room. Um, but you know, as long as I could get over the age and that our stories were different, it was, it was massively valuable to that stage of my life, especially cause I'm a student. I couldn't afford therapy or counseling. I could afford the 50 cents to put in the donation jar. So I found myself in the basement of a lot of churches, just trying to figure out, you know, um, what was I powerless over, which is step one. And then step two, coming to believe in a power greater than myself. And I, mm. I had never, never contemplated a power greater than myself. And then step three, learning to turn my will and life over to the care of some higher power that wasn't myself. Like all this stuff was very foreign. And my sister yeah. even sent an email being like, to me, I remember, I think it was a Facebook message. She sent a message being like, what are you guys doing? She's like an atheist, harsh. What are you guys doing turning your life over? I'm like, I don't know. I don't care. I just want my brother to be okay. And really my journey didn't even start there. I still thought it was a bit ridiculous until he got well. And my brother was mm. such a suffering drug addict that like he was, he was the worst of the worst. So I always mm. thought he was just going to die. And when he started to get better, I was like, oh gee, maybe I should try this stuff too. Whatever he's up to is working. I'm, I'm on board. And that was what really um, gave me permission to try something out that I would have never mm. on my own ever. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's something that doesn't get talked about as much. We do hear about AA, but I think especially in the age group we're in, not a lot of people are going to Al-Anon and I don't even think a lot of people know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And you're so right. It was me and a bunch of 60, 70 year old ladies and men, uh, which was actually like, once I got over it, like you said, it was actually very valuable. And I really yeah, enjoyed totally. those friendships that I made with those older folks. I'm very grateful. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for bringing it up. Thank you so much. I will pivot My just pleasure. a little bit to make sure we get to all the amazing stuff that you do. Um, you mentioned that you started this relationship um, relationship counseling um, business and it was kind of shaped by your own relationship journey and, and kind of the relationship that you have now. I would love to hear about that process of coming into your own healthy relationship. Yeah. So I think just cause I grew up in a family system, I have great, I have great parents who were just yeah. ill-equipped to handle a kid who was a drug act by age of mm. like 13. I think probably no matter how great of a parent you are, it's just probably really challenging to manage teenage addiction at the level of severity that yeah. we had in our home. So I had good parents doing the best they could, you know, I can't, and I don't think it was there. I think they did a wonderful job raising me and stealing good values in me, but just as a result of how profound 
my brother's addiction was like, there just wasn't attention for me. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it was more also like figuring out, um, I didn't understand though, that that was what was going on at the time. For me, I didn't mm. understand why no one could pay attention to me. I didn't understand why my emotional needs seemed unimportant. And so I felt unloved. I felt not seen. I felt just like bitterly lonely. And I remember thinking like in high school thinking, okay, well, if I find a man to love me, then I'll be okay. And mm. so that went through a series of men. It worked like you're okay for a while until you're not. Um, right. So going through a series of, of relationships and eventually getting married to someone. I remember, you know, thinking before we got before I met him thinking, I want someone that can never hurt me. I never want to be hurt. Mm. I just want someone that's going to be around. And when I met mm. my first husband, you know, he, he did a lot of things. Okay. But it did pick someone that couldn't really, well, I thought, but what I found out is mm. you can still get really hurt by someone, even if they mm. don't, if you don't have like a uh, deep, profound love with them, they can still hurt you if you spend every day with them. And our relationship became one where, you know, we're married, but it was, lonely. It was conflict. It was addiction perpetuating again. And it was, it was bad. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were only married 10 months there. I was mm -hmm. alone. And at the end of that marriage, that short marriage, I thought like, this isn't what I want. This isn't like, if I have to be married to someone, I don't want it to be like this. Um, and I thought, okay, I tried the first time to like be with someone that couldn't hurt me. So yeah. if I'm going to end this, I'm, I'm going all in. I want I want a love that is safe and deep and powerful mm. and gives me butterflies. And I want that. But at that time, um, I had just been one year out of school as a marriage and family therapist. And mm. I knew that I hadn't done the work. I hadn't done the things that they tell you to do in school to make a relationship succeed. So I knew that I was probably gonna have to do some work. And so after my divorce, I'd been dating and I, my now husband and I started talking and I met him and, you know, like in the movies, you, you see stars, like the stars on the TV shows, they just attract and it's like, they're gazing at each other and they, you know, their hearts are skipping a beat. And it's like this magical, wonderful time. And that's what falling in love with my now husband was like, it was like mm. everything you could have dreamed of. But right away, I knew that I did not have the tools to be in this mm. relationship. I did not know how to be in a functional, healthy relationship. Yeah. And I learned pretty quickly that if I didn't get a handle on how I communicated my emotions, my expectations of a relationship, I was going to lose this guy who every time I looked at him, it was literally like my stomach was butterflies, mm -hmm. like all the things that you wish for. So I met him and I just had to do the work. And it was, you know, there were times where I loved him so much and I was like, I can't do this. I don't know if I'm going to be able to change. And He's like, yeah. look, I love you so much too, but some of your stuff here, you know, he had, he had work to do too, but I certainly yeah. did. And I really applied that relationship knowledge, took it really seriously and found now we have this really beautiful love still that, you know, six years later, we're very happy. I mean, we fight, we're, we're a couple, but we love each other very deeply. We are incredibly happy. And I, I couldn't have done this without the work that I have gone through. And I'm um, I, I know so many people want that kind of love. They want that deep, yeah. unconditional, soul-filling, connected love. And it's hard, like it's so hard to find yeah. uh, because we're all hurt and we all have our guards up and we all have our vulnerabilities. And so I just thought, okay, well, if this is something that I've gone through my whole life and I finally, I know that these tools work. I've put them to work. I've taken the expertise from my training, I've applied it to my life. And if I can have this beautiful relationship, well, uh, this is available to other people too. 
And so I've been working like as a generalist, um, although my, my actually formal training is in marriage and family therapy. I worked yeah. as a generalist psychologist who see anxiety and depression and addiction. And because I also worked in addiction, I'd see a lot of the more high risk behavior disorders. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I like doing all that stuff, but over the last 10 years where my, where, what I love to do is still relationships. And so we we're in the mm-hmm. pandemic and I was consulting for another practice and it made sense because they generally pay you well and you get office space and admin and all the things. And then working in the pandemic, you're doing, you don't need office space. You're doing all your own own admin. And I was like, why? I like virtual. It's like, why am I not just doing this for myself? And so that was the birth of opening my own practice and and thinking, what do I really want to do? If I don't have to do what some other person is telling me to do, what do I want to do? And it was just coming back to the relationships and just coming to, to couples. And so that's, that's where we are today. Wow. So exciting. Congratulations for starting your own business in a pandemic. Wild, right? Cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. My mom was like, what are you doing? Why <laughs> don't you think you should stay other job? And I was like, mm, no, I'm done. So yeah, it's a bit of a risk, but it's paid. Up. It's worked out. Yes, obviously. That is so exciting. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. Thanks. Um, you mentioned doing the work. And mm-hmm. so I'm curious, I know you probably won't get into every single thing, um, but I'm curious what that process of doing the work looked like for you. Yeah, I think the biggest thing I had to work on was just like how I communicated to other people and how I communicated Mm -hmm. my hurts, my displeasures, my upsets, my needs. As I've kind of expressed before, I had a lot of walls up and I was like pretty harsh. Um, Mm -hmm. Although by the time I met my now husband, um, generally most of the time that had dissipated, but when I was Mm -hmm. in vulnerability or when I was really hurt, those old patterns of like a grouchy, harsh, mean, critical person emerged and and they're just protection. And um, I had to learn that and come to understand like when I yell at him, when I say hateful things, unfortunately, I hate that's part of my life, but it's my story. I was, you know, I knew better, but I was doing it anyway. It felt justified in those moments. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't until I was really willing to see that like, I would, if someone treated me that way, I'd be devastated, I'd be crushed. And I have been treated that way. That's how I know how to do that. I've been treated that way. When I am treated that way, mm-hmm. I'm crippled. I'm crushed. Yeah. And I was doing what I was taught. And I was doing what broke my own heart. And when I stopped and really listened to the impact on him, mm-hmm. I went, oh my God, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And I had to be willing to go to the literature and see, well, what do I do instead? Because like, mm-hmm. again, great parents doing the best they could. They weren't following what the literature says to do. They were just like doing their thing. Right. Um, right. And so I didn't have a model for, okay, well, if what I'm doing isn't working, mm-hmm. what do you do? I don't know. What do you do? What does a healthy fight look like? How do you fight fair? I had no clue. So literally then going to the relationship research and understanding like the number one predictor of divorce is harsh startup. So that is what it sounds like saying things harshly, using criticism, using contempt, raised voices, clipped, clipped tones. And that's exactly what yeah. I was doing. And I had to go, whoa, okay, if I keep doing this, this is not going to go well. So mm-hmm. understanding what did it mean to express my needs neutrally, gently, mm-hmm. softly. If I'm hurt, how do I come and say I am hurt rather than you don't even care about me or something. Mm-hmm. And so literally that looked like going to the books like in a lot of workbooks or whatnot, there's like exercises. I don't know about you, but when I read most books, I skip those exercises. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing them, doing yeah. those exercises on my own to figure out, okay, if I'm upset, you know, what am I feeling upset yeah. about what? I don't know. You left your shoes at the door. That's not actually an issue in our relationship. Just make it up as we go. 
I sat, you left your shoes by the door. What do I need? I need you to pick up your shoes. Not Mm -hmm. you're so darn lazy. Go pick up your shoes. So I I really have to be initially be thoughtful and go through worksheets and write out what I wished I was like, Mm -hmm. not what I was actually doing because we have two brains. And I knew this, I knew we have two brains. We have the fast, the unconscious, uh, the automatic, which happens in a split second. And then we also have the slow, the conscious, the labor intensive. And I knew enough to know if I don't practice this, there's no way it's going to happen in real time. Mm. You're never going to do something different in real time than what you've been doing your whole life, unless you practice it like any new skill. So I knew that. So literally I would have like cue cards, like recipe cards. And on the front, it would be like what I would usually say. And then on the back, it would be a new response in a softer, more gentle way where I would practice saying like, if I had that thought to say whatever nasty remark I thought I should say to, to have a more soft and gentle response. And I literally looked at cue cards like that for a long time and until I started responding differently in situations. Mm. So that's what some of the early work looked like was practice and practice. And what does the research say how to respond and practice and re- practice. So for example, mm. the number one thing I love is the three F's and this is what they are. So F1 is feelings. F2 is facts. F3 is fair request. So I've already kind of done this when I give the example of saying, oh, you're so lazy, you've left your shoes at the door. That's a criticism, yeah. which isn't helpful. But if I say, I feel frustrated with F1, F2 is facts. You've left your shoes at the door. F3, fair request. Can you please pick those up? Um, mm-hmm. And I had to practice those three Fs. And now like, I'll be in the heat of it. You know, even if I'm, for the most part, I do it pretty naturally now. I can just, I don't yeah. even have to think about it. I've practiced it so much, it's automatic. But if mm-hmm. I'm struggling and it's like, I can feel my blood boiling, it'll be like three Fs, three Fs. Three Fs. <laughs> Anything that comes yeah. out of your mouth must be the three Fs. And so mm-hmm. it's just those little things like that, that were such a game changer so that I came off in a more soft and a more gentle way. And that's consistent. That's the number one thing. If we look at what makes marriages succeed or fail in communication, mm-hmm. it's avoiding that harsh startup. And so mm-hmm. I knew if I did nothing else, I had to really start um, not <laughs> doing a harsh startup. I had to be more gentle and more soft, more neutral. So, mm-hmm. and neutral at, even if I couldn't get to gentle or soft, at least neutral neutral mm. yeah that's a great point and that reminds me of the Alanon saying um is it necessary is it true well it doesn't remind me of it in the way that I can remember the whole saying obviously <laughs> but it goes something like is this necessary for me to say is it actually true for me to say this is it actually helpful or do I just want to be right so I think yeah I think that's cool yeah and, and I love- just want to be right <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Our egos definitely want to be right instead of allowing ourselves not to be right and just getting along for the greater yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Something I struggle with for sure. Um, and I love that you said that you're practicing, that you have those cue cards. I think that's such a great idea. I'm such a big proponent of reframes, writing out your reframes, but I love that you had them pre-written out so you could kind of almost be like a little flashcard and kind of study what you would say. Exactly. It was like studying in school. Like I had to write it out the first time and then I had to practice it like in school, like, okay, knowing my time staples is a bad example because I don't know them, but I do remember writing them on flashcards and um, hopefully (laughs) some of them are in my brain that came on at, you know, interesting times. I remember some multiplication. I don't remember them all for whatever reason. If you don't use it, you lose it. That's what's happened in my life. But because Mm -hmm. I practiced these things and I went through them, then I then they work slowly over time. They become that unconscious, the automatic, the part of your brain that can just respond that way, even when you're upset, Mm -hmm. Um, which is hard to respond helpfully when you're upset. Yeah. 
And I think you just touched on something super important, which is that it's not just about learning how to be better. And it's not just about practicing how to be better. It's about always practicing it and always reminding yourself because if you don't use it, you lose it. So I thank you for saying that. Mm, yes, my pleasure. Yeah. Um, and you're so right that um, oftentimes growing up, even if our parents or guardians did do the best that they could, we don't often learn what healthy conflict looks like in relationships and how to resolve or speak our needs. Um, mm -hmm. So what does, what does healthy conflict look like? Yeah, well, I think even what I've just said about those three three Fs, mm -hmm. like kind of going in yeah. and thinking about that is so hard to do in real time, like incredibly hard to do in real time. Of course. But, but if you think about healthy conflict, there's some things to avoid. So I've already gone over avoiding heart startup. The second thing to avoid is what the Gottman's, I mean, the Gottman, this is from the Gottman's research, so John and Julie Gottman and the Gottman Institute, um, in particular, the most famous Gottman book is Seven Principles of Making a Marriage Work. But I think John Gottman's actually got like 42 or 43 books or something or publications. So he's got like- wow lot, but that's the most famous. And in that book, um, he talks about the, the predictors of divorce. And the first one is her startup. The second is what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And so those four horsemen are one criticism. So this is when you point out a flaw or a defect, something about your partner, when you're pointing out what you don't like. So it is the, I keep giving the shoe example. So it's your so lazy, you left your shoes at the door. You're, you're pointing out something about them and making a judgment in yeah. an extreme or exaggerated way. The second one is contempt. So it's like criticism amped up. You still might be saying the same thing. Like you're so lazy, you've left your shoes at the door, except it's with an air of mockery. You aim to insult or injure. You're actually meaning to hurt or abuse. So it could be like with a sneer or a snicker or like, you're so lazy, you've left your shoes at the door. You are just like your mom. And so you really jab in that where you poke where it hurts. And you yeah. know, you kind of know you're doing it. The third yeah. one is what we call defensiveness. And so that is warding off the attack. Um, so if your partner says you're so lazy, you're like, I'm not lazy, you're lazy. You left your shoes by the door. You did it too, or I took out the garbage. What do you care? So with that warding off the attack and, and certainly people are defensive. People are defensive in response to criticism. And people are also, some people are just like defensive people. Like it's just their natural phase. You're like, oh, I like your shirt. And they're like, what, what do you mean you like my shirt? So there's, there are some people like that, but more often than not, defensiveness is a response to criticism. And then the last one is yeah. what we call stonewalling. So that's conveying disapproval or displeasure through emotionally disengaging or physically disengaging from a conversation. Um, yeah. So, I mean, even great people probably do these things some of the time, even great yeah. communicators, because we're all human. But I think the first thing when it comes to great communication is knowing what not to do. And then it opens up a whole bunch of possibilities when you're thinking, okay, well, if I don't do those, then what? And, and sure, there are specific strategies of what you can do. But I think as long as you hear those and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to try to avoid those, we're trending yeah. more in the right direction. So those are the major, major flags to avoid in particular. Mm, thank you for saying that. Um, and so if a listener is hearing this and they're saying, oh no, I do two out of those four things or whatever, um, and maybe they can't afford to go to couples counseling, let's say, how would a couple begin to do the work on, or, or I guess not even do the work, but undo those behaviors that they're, that they've done for so long? Yeah. I mean, I would just, honestly, I think um, tracking anything is the key to starting to get it under control. So Anytime you've gone through a conflict or something, just writing out what happened. 
mm, first getting yeah. to become conscious of it, because a lot of times we do things we're not conscious of and anything yeah. you focus on, you're going to find and begin to change. So like if most people have gone on a diet at some point in their lives or weight loss plan, the number one thing they ask you to do is track your food. That is for mm. good reason, because it facilitates behavior change and understanding what's actually happening. Mm. So best thing you could do is track this and track, okay, in this conversation, what did I do? It is so mm. easy, so easy to see what your partner did because you don't <laughs> like it and you're mad right. about it and it hurt you and you wish they could just change that freaking thing. It is so easy to see what they did. But if you really mm. want better communication, it also requires us to go inside and see what we did. Because we can't change someone. Mm. We can change ourselves. We can ask someone or invite someone to change with us, but it really starts with us. And, mm. and so when we can go and write it down, and so literally I'd be like, conflict, this happened in the situation. Which of those four horsemen did I do? Oops, mm. critical. Oops, contempt. Oops, shut down. And you can start identifying it. And then even just like put a third column on that page. What could I do instead next time? Mm. I could speak more neutrally. I could sit in the room instead of walking away and just say, I'm not ready to talk. Can we just take a break? Mm. Um, what could you do? Anything that you could do differently. So yes, there are specific like antidotes or things you could do that are more helpful and recommended. However, if you just, the first thing you did was track it and try to do anything different like yeah. that's a good starting place. Mm, yeah. Thank you for sharing all those great tips. Is that an exercise a couple could do together? Oh yeah. I mean, I think um, one caution, like if you're doing it together, I would give is do not comment on the other person's behavior. Because mm. again, that's easy. Really focus on yourself first. And so you could approach it and be like, here's what I think happened. Here's what I see I did. Here's what I think I could do differently. If you really want to feedback, you could say, what do you think? But I would really, one of the biggest things mm. I see couples do is they come in critical and they're like, this is what you do and you should change it. And it's like, yes, like that would be great if they did that. Right. However, it is highly likely if there's a conflict, you did something too. And so we like, if you think about it, humans, we're pretty awful at changing sometimes. I'm, I'm always mm. trying to drink less coffee, but I always, you know, I tell myself every day today, no more than two cups. And then the day comes around and I'm like standing <laughs> at a coffee pot trying to make you know, bargains with myself about how I can have more. And I've been trying this for years. So I'm a pretty bad changer with my coffee and people are the same. So we can expect people that be really nice if they did things differently right away. Like, great. I know we want it, of course. Um, but we have way more control over ourselves. And even with ourselves, you're going to be like me with the coffee, you know, you should be doing something different, but you're still not. So focus on yourself first and you can ask and request change self first. Mm, yeah. Um, so to pivot just a little bit, we just at the very beginning talked about the fact that you're in lockdown and in the United States where I am, we are starting to open up as more people are vaccinated and such. Um, but a lot of couples are still at home together or they just got done being together constantly for a year and a half. Um, so I'm wondering if you've seen any, um, perhaps unhealthy dynamics that have come up that are kind of specific to the pandemic and perhaps living together and just yeah, I together. I think there's a lot. Like, I think the number one thing I've seen is people's problems that were already there have just gotten worse. So they've just become highlighted and exacerbated. Um, for, for some people, they have new problems, but I think the biggest problem is the things that were already there have gotten worse. And I think yeah. the second biggest thing I've seen is people stop, have stopped like dating. 
they've stopped asking about each other days because they're just with each other all the time. So they assume they know, or they're like, I have nothing new to talk about with you. And as a result, they lose that connection of feeling known or feeling felt or feeling seen or understood or important by their partner. They, they lose those are core attachment needs is to, see, to feel understood and seen and heard and special. Mm. And when those aren't met, we don't feel as good. And because we're around each other constantly, we're not asking or we assume they know and, or maybe we do mm. know, but your partner still needs to, to tell you to form that intimate connection. And so that's been one of the biggest things I've seen is just a, not dating, not doing fun things, but B, not continuing to talk, not continuing to update each other on their days in or in a positive way. Like it can just be so logistical, like, okay, today we have to homeschool the kids and work and have meetings and who's going to walk the dogs. And it becomes very practical. And so um, one of the things actually that I've been giving a lot of my couples who are struggling to talk and connect is um, what, what a free guide I have. It's called the emotional intimacy cheat sheet. And what it is, is it's a conversational tool where it's a speaker listener exercise and you can do it as formally or as informally as you want. In couples therapy, I literally do it quite structured and I use the exact same thing and it breaks them up into speaker and listener and I get them to pick a topic and, and ask each other questions and be interested and really, really listen because you know we have so much going on. We're around the person all the time. We're not asking great questions anymore. Like you would with a friend you haven't seen in a long time. You know, if we're seeing yeah. our friends and we've been away from them, we're like, Oh my gosh, Hey, so good to see you. Tell me about what's going on. Tell me about work. Tell me about this. And we're like, so interested with our partner. We're like, Hey, Hey, <laughs> they good calls. Yep. Netflix. What do you want to watch? You know, like if people are just the same, it's the same old thing. And so just using a guide sometimes to help go through. So in this guide, there's 36 questions to ask your partner and to go through. You don't do all 36 at once, but you can break it up. And, and through each section, you know, there's topics and ask different questions for a deeper sense of knowing, a deeper mm. sense of understanding. And that's what so much of us want to be seen mm. and heard. There's, there's two core needs, actually, a lot of us have when we're communicating. Yeah. One is to know that our partner doesn't think that we're flawed or there's some character defect with us. We want to feel generally accepted by them as a person. And the second thing we need is like emotional validation. So that looks like I had a hard day. So an emotionally validating state would be like, oh yeah, I could see that. Or gosh, tell me more. Or oh, hard days suck. And so just, you know, commenting on that in an emotional way, you don't have to be perfect at it. You don't even need to be anything close to perfect, but right. just something that shows engagement and normalizes whatever that person is going through. And mm -hmm. the, my guide, the emotional intimacy cheat sheet just gives opportunity to do that and, and to listen and to be present and to ask questions rather than offering what, what a lot of people do is they offer solutions or advice or feedback when all the person wants is like emotional support and for you to be curious about them. So that's the goal of the guide is just to help you open your partner's heart by asking questions and, and not giving solutions, staying away from mm. solutions or advice. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the emotional intimacy cheat sheet that's kind of a hard word to say, hard word to say in connection, um, is in the show notes. So people listening can download that. It's very exciting. Um, so I'm curious how you would define or how it, how you would explain emotional intimacy and what that is. Ooh, great question. So you've heard me talk about the Gottmans already. I'm, I'm, I've, I'm, I've done level two training with the Gottmans and hopefully soon enough we'll be doing more and more. But so what they have is a theory called the sound relationship house theory. And mm. like any house, if you want to have a roof, probably need solid walls, solid foundation. You know, you need the base first before you can put up the top. And when we think about their model, so the base of their house 
these are the these are the elements of the base. We have what are called building love maps. What building a love map mm -hmm. is is basically the emotional intimacy cheat sheet. It's using questions to get a deep knowing of your partner's inner world. It's it's being great friends. It's mm -hmm. friendship dimension, and knowing that your partner knows you. So that's what building mm -hmm. love maps in. It's continue continuously going through your relationship, your lives, growing and expanding upon your knowledge and your mind's eye of your partner. Mm -hmm. So that is foundational element one. Of emotional intimacy. Foundational element two of emotional intimacy is what they call the shared fondness and admiration system. So what that means is, do you generally feel like your partner likes you? Do they feel like they're fond of you? Do, they, do you feel like they cherish you? And creating a culture of that in your relationship, a culture of liking, a culture of cherishing, a culture of partner gratitude, and expressing that. And so, you know, verbally saying like, the I love you's or thanks for taking out the garbage or gosh, I respect this quality about you. You're so intelligent or you're so, you know, you just light up a room with your enthusiasm or your energy, or you make everyone feel at peace, like actually expressing mm. those positive things we say and creating that culture in our relationship that feels like a bit. Yeah, good. And, you know, yeah. there's different levels of that depending on how comfortable you are, but um, couples to have that deep connection, they need to feel liked, cherished, appreciated, supported, like their partner thinks they're awesome. And we can do that through words or, you know, some people through actions or through touch. There's many ways. So that's the mm. second run, rung of the foundation of the house, which is the shared fondness and admiration system. And then the third part of emotional intimacy um, that we can think about through the Gottman's method is what is called turning towards your partner turning mm. towards a bid for connection. And so a bid for connection is anytime I do something to try to get my partner's attention to connect mm. with me in some way. I'm mm. reminded right now of a story. Um, I was watching parents back in the day, watching some parents and I was at a park and I was watching this little boy throw a beach ball at his dad's back repeatedly. Mm. His dad turned around and yelled at him. However, the little boy, this was a bid for connection and attention. Little boys like four, five, he's not going about it in a helpful way of getting it. Right. And, and sometimes in relationships, we do these same things. We poke or we prod or who knows what we're up to, but it's a bid for connection. So some people are doing it in a helpful way. Maybe you're just like reading the newspaper and you look up and you're like, oh my gosh, concerts are back. And your partner looks up and they're doing something else they're like concert sweet. So it doesn't have to be anything big. It's just, they notice that you have spoken. They have commented mm. on the fact you have spoken and they've engaged with you. So it's positively turning towards bids for connection. So a turn towards is what you just heard me do. A turn mm. towards is when I go, oh my gosh, concerts. And my partner who's doing something else goes, concerts, cool. They have turned towards, they have noticed I've spoken, they have acknowledged something has just happened here in a positive way. But what can happen where that goes wrong is you can either turn away or turn against. So a turn away seems innocent enough, but that would be me being like, oh my God, concerts. And my partner doesn't say a thing, mm. doesn't look up. We're in the same room. She doesn't, doesn't acknowledge it. Mm. And they hurt. It's not like they haven't done anything. Right. They've done nothing mm. and nothing hurts. Mm. And then the la the, how to make this even worse is you could turn against my partner. If they're mm. turning against me, could say concerts, what you want to do, go there, be around a whole bunch of germy people. What are you excited about that for? That's ridiculous. So they turn it on yeah. you. That's a turn again. So that's obviously going to erode um, mm -hmm. the emotional intimacy piece. And so those three levels, the base of the house of that sound relationship house from the Gottman method, the building 
love maps, the shared fondness and admiration, um, mm. the turning towards, though that is what emotional intimacy is made of. Mm. So mm. that's my that's my summary of emotional intimacy for you. Mm. Thank you. And I'm gonna link to all the the things that you referenced when you were speaking so people can maybe click an article or something to read a little bit more. So thank you for that. Oh yeah, my um, pleasure. I'm going to pivot just a little bit and kind of turn into spirituality. And my kind of barrier question will be, have you ever experienced couples who perhaps have a misaligned spiritual practice or belief? And how has that worked out? Or what advice would you give them? Yes, I think, you know, spirituality is one of those things that is so different person to person. It's such a different personal relationship. And then we can complicate it in by throwing in different religions or not and so certainly yeah I mean many couples can have different views there I think it happens very often and I like to tell my couples where you start off isn't always the measure of success so even if you feel like you and your partner start out in different books you're not you're not on the same page you're not in the same chapter you're in two entirely different books to an extent yeah. that's that's fairly normal um well not always helpful it can be normal to start at different places and um it's like can you come together and, and mm. maybe get to the same book hopefully the same chapter, maybe the same page. Some couples do, some couples don't. Um, but even if you never get to the same page, the same chapter, the same book, can you still hear and talk about your different mm. views in the world, still learn to speak about them with respect and appreciation for that is their set of beliefs, mm. even if you don't share them and still be interested in their beliefs, even if they're different from yours. And I think it's really hard because I think spirituality, religion um, can be like very topics that people can become very passionate about or have like very firm and fixed beliefs about how they, what they believe it should be or what is the right way. And I mm. think um, couples that there are many couples who will never ever get on the same page. And so the antidote to that is just, just being able to talk about it and be interested in the mm. other person, being interested yeah. in partner, even if you disagree with their beliefs. Yeah. Hmm. What a beautiful answer. Thank you. Um, and then my next question will be about your own higher power. You mentioned doing steps two and three with Al-Anon, which is all about surrender and um, kind of coming into relationship with your own higher power, whatever that is to you. Um, so I'd love to hear about how you connect with your higher power. Yeah, I think that's ebbed and flowed in my life. Um, mm, my first exposure yeah. really, like I, I have, you know, I think we are all exposed to ideas of religion and God and spirituality at different places, but that was the first time I would say I took an active approach to, um, to spirituality would have been through the Al-Anon process. And I, I remember when I was like in my twenties and, uh, the woman at the treatment center who was like kind of my counselor, but she also wasn't my counselor. She asked me to write a wanted ad for a higher power, like as if I was writing a wanted ad for a car. It was like, you know, I want, mm. you know, two door or two doors and I want a steering wheel and I want it to be blue. Like I want you to write a wanted ad for that. Mm -hmm. And I've always had that in mind. So at different times in my life, I've ebbed and flowed through deep connection to spirituality and like it's out there, I'll return to it eventually, like any relationship, like sometimes you're super close and sometimes you're not. And mm. I think what I always come back to at any point in my life when I'm re-seeking that connection, I always have to redefine what it is I'm looking for. So I kind of go back to that like wanted ad that I wrote in my early 20s. Like, what are the things I'm seeking in this in this spiritual partner right now? Um, what are the qualities of that friend that I need? 
and making sure whatever that relationship is, is aligned to the current, I guess, goals or things for that, that part. And so initially, you know, it's just like things like caring. I needed empathetic understanding, a compassionate ear, even if I made a mistake or did something wrong. Um, and those yeah. are just some of the qualities that it, it started out with. And that was my initial kind of journey with it, with having a higher power and just thinking about what that was for me. Mm, that's beautiful. And what a cool practice that you could do in relationships as well as your relationship with your higher power or source, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Mm, very cool. Thank you. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and ask you the four questions that I ask everyone. The first one being, what would you tell your younger self with all that you know now? Um, I think that you don't have to be perfect to be lovable. We're all born and wired for love and belonging. And I didn't know that. I thought you had mm-hmm. to like work for it, hustle for it. And, and you don't like, we're already wired for that. Um, and I think, you know, I just, I just need someone to say like, Hey, you're okay. You're fine. You're fine. Mm-hmm. It's okay. And I know it feels like you're not love, but you actually are. I'm just the people in your life can't show it right now, but yeah, I think it would just be like, you're okay. You don't have to hustle for your worthiness. You're fine. Mm, yeah. What a good lesson. And what do you hope to learn from your future self? Um, that just putting yourself out there and taking risks, loving deeply, starting your own business, like just all of the risks that you take to do those things were worth it. Mm, and that, I you know, it. you go, you eventually, they all paid off. Yeah. Oh, cool. I love it. Um, and we talked about how you connect with your higher power. How do you connect to your highest self? Whatever that means to you. Um, I think it is thinking about what is my current why in life at that time? Like, what am I working towards? Why do I want something? Understanding what is my deep motivations behind whatever thing I'm doing? And then who do I want to be when I achieve whatever goal or something? is and it sometimes takes some time to really settle into why do I want something where am I mm. going and getting yeah. I think it's um a, getting a grounding into that as well like really softening settling could be listening mm. to uh, intuition the god the powers of the universe like whatever it is but really settling in and, and figuring out why do I want it? Where am I going? And then just allowing mm-hmm. kind of like the wave of calm to, to go over and ground me for whatever thing that is. And I feel the most connected to my higher self when I, I'm very busy and like active and can be like hyperactive, but my mm-hmm. most highest self is a grounded place. Mm, love it. And what does empowered spirituality mean to you? Well, this you may recognize, but um, one of my favorite lines from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is the fundamental idea of God is, is already within every man, woman, and child. Mm. And I think for anybody that's struggling with spirituality or God, or what do you call it, um, mm. to know that there's already this kind of whisper inside of you, mm. you already have a knowing. And I think when I think of that empowered spirituality, it's being quiet, mm. pausing, listening, and whether it, that is the quiet voice within me or something, a relationship that I've built within something in the universe. It's pausing and listening and waiting for that like inner sense of knowing mm. that I'm on the right track and right path. And sometimes you don't get that right away. And then being willing to trust 
in that knowing um, in a deep, in a deep way. And just that sense that kind of like, you might call it a gut feeling and intuition, you might call it God, but just knowing that it is right in a way where like, you might go over a pros and cons list and be like, mm, there's enough pros that seems like the right choice, but it's different than like that true inner knowing. And I mm. think that true inner knowing that's already within you is that, that empowered spirituality and, and the trusting in it. That's, mm. that's what I think comes up for me. That's beautiful. Thank you. And the last question I'll ask you is if someone could listen to this and maybe they're in partnership and maybe they're not, what is the one thing you'd want them to get from this? Um, I mean, ideally I, you'd want them to get a lot, but. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think it comes down to like the, you're already lovable message that I needed. You're already fine. And a lot of the like unhelpful communication behaviors that most of us do, they're to protect to get our needs met because they haven't been met at some point in our lives or we haven't had a model for how to communicate in helpful ways and and um, I mean most of us have our unhelpful behaviors in place because they served a purpose and mm. if we can create environments of if we are so lucky and mm. so fortunate which isn't always the case so sometimes you can't let go of your behaviors because sometimes that is not safe or helpful but in the case it is safe or helpful to kind of go okay if I'm already loved worthy of love? How could I show up if that was true for me? How could I behave differently? And just, just remembering like, you don't, we are born for love and connection and mm. sometimes circumstances make us feel as though we're not, but we are truly wired for that. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. And before we wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to share that maybe we didn't touch on? No, I think we've been very very comprehensive. I think I'm just very grateful for your presence and your energy. And I've appreciated you being here and giving me the opportunity to chat with you and your audience mm -hmm. and who would have known some of the ways you and I are connecting and, and relating. So I feel so for the listeners, we've never met, but I feel deeply connected <laughs> to you, to you right now. And I'm very, just very grateful for this. Um, I feel like, you know, it's one of those moments where you do, you're like, call it odd, call it God, call it whatever you want. Like people are meant to come in your life sometimes for just a special mm -hmm. moment. And I feel as though we've gotten to have one of those opportunities. Hmm, thank you. I know it. This, the more you talk, the more I was like, wow, me too, me too, me too. So it was a very cool experience. Um, and where can people find you to either view your social media or even work with you? Yeah. So my uh, practice is Ember, E-M-B-E-R, not Amber, which is my name, but Ember, E-M-B-E-R, Relationship Psychology. So that's my Instagram handle that's on Pinterest. Instagram is where I am. I'm all my stuff goes out on a bunch of channels, but I am most active on the Instagram itself. So at Ember Relationship Psychology. And then my website is www.emberrelationshippsychology.com. Um, I have a bunch of free guides, podcast, blog, like you name it, it's all there. So if you, if you want more from me, those are the places to find me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amber. It was such a treat to have you on and I'm sure everyone is going to think so too. So thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Empowered Spirituality with Amber Dalson. Make sure to follow her on Instagram, check out her website, check out all of her awesome articles on her blog, download the free emotionally, um, blah, emotional intimacy cheat sheet. How many times am I going to mess up those four words? 
um, and look at all of her other free guides that she has on her website as well. Make sure you go over and listen to her podcast, Relationship Psych. It is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, check out her book that she um, helped write. She wrote a chapter in Counseling Insights, Practical Strategies for Helping Others with Anxiety, Trauma, Grief, and More. The link to that is down below as well. And you can learn a little bit more about the things that she referenced down below. And if you liked this podcast, please make sure to subscribe to it, as well as give it a rating and review. Your information and your feedback is highly, highly valuable. Um, and if you'd like to send me a DM with more information, you can do that as well and give suggestions on what you'd like to see in the future, etc. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Empowered Spirituality. Oh, sorry, it's actually Empowered.Spirituality. Sorry about that. Um, you can also join the Empowered Spirituality community. You can book a free exploratory call with me. My website is EmpoweredSpirituality.Online. You can also join the free weekly meditation circle on my website as well. We meet every Sunday, usually in the afternoon for meditation, journaling, and community. But until next time, have a great rest of your day or night, and thank you so much for listening. Namaste. It can be challenging to find a community of supportive people to share in our spiritual journeys with. We all need support and love no matter where we are on our personal journeys. So I am excited to announce that I have created the space for just that. In the Empowered Spirituality community, you will receive a weekly video lesson, weekly journaling prompts, access to an additional guided meditation every week, monthly group meetings and teachings via Zoom, and access to a loving and supportive online community. Additionally, all members will receive 20% off of all of their coaching sessions. You can follow the link in the show notes for this community offer or visit patreon.com slash empoweredspirituality.